Hey everybody, this is Matt Love and welcome back to Ask Me Anything with Pastor J.D. Greer. And today we get an answer to a, a difficult question straight from the pulpit. So this is from one of J.D.'s original teachings at the Summit Church where Pastor J.D. answers a simple question for single people. Should I get married or not? The first consideration for should I get married is do I have the gift? That's the million dollar question, right? How do you know if you have the gift? Right? I've told you before, lamented that right after my wife and I got engaged, we took one of these spiritual gifts tests. I was so excited about it. We're gonna figure out where we fit in ministry. Her number one gift comes back as singleness. We just got engaged. I was like, that doesn't bode well. Right? I don't, not against spiritual gifts tests. We even use them here sometimes. But first, you need to realize that most people have a wrong conception of spiritual gifts in general. Most people assume that a spiritual gift is some kind of lifelong assignment, like an identity that God stamps you with when you leave heaven, like a personality trait. You know, like, oh, this person's gonna be an evangelist, this person's gonna be prophecy, this person's gonna be, you know. It's not what he does. And especially is not true of the gifts of marriage and singleness. A spiritual gift, uh, charisma, um, or there's another word in 1 Corinthians 12, the pneumatakos, is a special empowerment that comes on you for a time for some spiritual assignment. It's gonna change throughout your life, most of these gifts. They come on you for a time and depend on your assignment and they go out. All of us are single for a time, which means that all of us for a time have the gift of singleness and God will give us the spiritual empowerment, the gifting to do it well. You're not supposed to look within and mystically try to discern if you got the gift of singleness. Don't make it complicated. If you're single, you have the gift of singleness, at least for the moment. How do I know? Because you're single and God will empower you to do it well. And if you're married, you have the gift of marriage. And you can know that because you're married. Even if you feel like your marriage was a mistake, you have the gift now, and God will give you the spiritual power to do it well. You say, well, okay, wait a minute. I'm single now, but I'm wondering if marriage might be a gift that God is planning to give me in the future. How can I tell that? Well, there's no sure way to know, but Paul does give you a clue in verse nine. It is better, he says, it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Paul says, he says, if as you pray about it, your desires to be married burn inside of you, it's okay to ask God for a spouse to meet those needs. But it could be that in praying about it, God answers that prayer by giving you the ability to control yourself without marriage, or he might take away the desire to be married altogether, or he might have another desire grow stronger in your heart than to be married and it would actually be advantageous to be single to pursue this other thing. I had a friend who prayed about getting married because she thought that's what good Christian girls do. She said, but the more I prayed about it, the less desire I had to get married and the more my passion for a particular ministry grew. She said, I always felt guilty about that and I never wanted to talk about it like there was something wrong with me. She said, but then I studied 1 Corinthians 7 and realized that this was all from God. And she said, it felt like such a relief. Paul, who had the gift of singleness, describes himself like this, verse 37, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control. You see those phrases? Firmly established, under no necessity, being able to control his desire, he will do well. If you're single, is that you? Do those phrases describe you? If so, well, you might have the gift of singleness, at least for the time being and maybe for the future. You should take advantage of that. If you're not like that, yeah, it's okay. Ask God for a spouse. Paul's like, look, this is not mystical. 
This is really between you and God. In fact, when you read this chapter, he's kind of flipping about it. Look, verse 36. If any man feels like he should marry, he can do what he wants. Verse 39, but if a wife husband dies, she's free to be married to anyone she wants, but she's happier she remains as she is, in my opinion. Right? Translation, don't make it hard. Pray about it, that God leads you through your desires and your circumstances. Sometimes you may desire it and God just, you know, circumstantially, it's not happening. And that's like him, you're in a fasting season, fasting from you know, marriage and, and God's gonna work in that like he does. You need to trust that where God leads you, he will also gift and empower you because they are spiritual gifts. No, you don't have the ability to be single well. You don't have the ability to be married well. Like the Holy Spirit has the ability in him for you to do both those things well. So number four, the second, the second consideration for should I get married is, is it the right time? The second consideration for should I get married is, is it the right time? There's a really, another interesting verse in this chapter that really confuses people. But when you understand it in context, it totally makes sense, all right? Hang with me, because it's gonna be like, what in the world does this mean for me? I'll show you. Verse 26, I think Paul says, that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he or she is. So he goes on to say, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, remain single. And at first, it sounds like Paul is telling all single people everywhere, don't ever seek to get married. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul says, the key phrase, in view of the present distress, remain as you are. Paul was writing this in a particular era of history where persecution against Christians was at a fever pitch. Christian families were being torn apart and sold into slavery. They were about to be blamed for you know, the burning of Rome. It's, um, they're gonna be fed to the lions. It's difficult to go through persecution as a single person. But when you are married, and you've got kids, your worldly troubles multiply. So Paul was like, look, in light of all this persecution, in light of families getting torn apart, now is not a great time to get married and have kids. So I'd say it'd be better if you just kind of stay where you are. But that was then, and this is now. Currently, we are not in a particularly persecuted moment. The mask mandate is a little annoying. I understand that, but this is not a particularly persecuted time. And so I believe, based on what I read here in 1 Corinthians 7, that in this context, Paul would encourage marriage more than he did in that Corinthian one. You say, well, that's great. What does that mean for me? Here's what it means. Watch. There can be situations, eras, seasons in your life that may make it more advantageous for you to wait, even if in another situation you might desire to be married. The whole group was in one last night, it could, but it could be true for you individually. For example, in a season where you're trying to finish your education or trying to get established in your career. The book of Proverbs says, you know, establish your work in the field, afterward build your house. In other words, guys, get a job. Mm -hmm. Get a job and establish your career. Then it's actually easier to bring somebody that you're gonna be a support to and all that, you bring them into that. Maybe God has called you to focus on a mission assignment or maybe, maybe you need time to heal from something. Maybe there's some kind of trauma, some kind of past devastation, some breakup, and you just need time to heal. And during those seasons where it is wise to wait, you can trust that God is gonna give you the spiritual gifting to wait. One of the reasons, by the way, that it's helpful to be involved in a close church community, like we want you to have here, is that other people can help you see when those times are so that you can live wisely within them, which leads to number five. When it is time, Paul would say, don't wait. I love what Paul says in verse 36. 
Verse 36, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, toward the girl that he's going to marry, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whatever you do, whatever you do, verse 37, Paul says, whatever you do, be firmly established. Now, let me follow Paul's lead here for a moment and talk to the guys, since guys are typically the ones to take initiative in relationships, and that was true in Corinth, and it's mostly true today. Guys, Paul is saying to you, listen, be firmly established. Are you going to marry her or not? Don't be a jerk and flirt and call and hang out with her and lead her on if you don't even know what your intentions are. Well, I'm just figuring it out. No, you are leading her on. You are being cruel. You are keeping her close enough to enjoy her without having to commit anything to her. That is the opposite of Jesus-like love. You are taking and not giving. Stop it. Make up your mind. Be firmly established. And if there is a girl that you want to ask out, ask her out. A lot of our Christian sisters have complained to me about what they call the Christian sneak-a-date thing. Ladies, you know where they figure out how to go out with you and how to be a part of your small group and how to show up in social circles without ever having to man up and go through the danger of asking you out. Oh, look, we're here together again. The sneak-a-date, right? Or, or, or I've heard it referred to as the friendationship where you spend so much time together that it's like your boyfriend and girlfriend, but you've never actually talked about it because talking involves risk and potential awkwardness and you're not man enough to go through that awkwardness. Stop it. Be a man, be firmly established. Part of me does not even want to know who is clapping right now, but we're just gonna let it be, okay? And if you are engaged, don't keep a ring on her finger with an elusive promise of marriage way out there somewhere in the wild blue yonder. Either marry her or don't. Don't string her along. Be firmly established. And guys, if you know it's not time for you to get married, be firmly established and don't lead her on. Get on with what God is doing in your singleness and let God get on with what he's doing in hers. Girls, oh, you also don't lead the guy on. Dating is a road that leads to marriage. And if you're not ready for the destination, stay off the road, okay? Paul would say, be firmly established. And when it's time, don't wait. Now guys, lest you misunderstand me, this is one of those caveats that I feel like I have to say, so I'm gonna say it. I'm not saying you need to move super quickly and drop the marriage card on your first date. Being firmly established and being creepy are not the same things, amen? And if she says no, if she says no, you gotta respect that, right? Listen, Christian, we can take creepy to whole new levels. Hounding a girl after she says no and then playing the God card? Oh, God told me to ask you out. God's not asking her out, you're asking her out, okay? There you go. That was just some, some good biblical teaching on the question of should I get married or not. You can always find more teaching from Pastor J.D. at his website, jdgreer.com. You'll find so many articles, audio broadcasts, video teaching, and of course, all of our Ask Me Anything podcast archives. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again next time here on Ask Me Anything.